May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. As many of you know, uh, my wife Caitlin is about five months pregnant now, and so our house has been in a bit of chaos as we prepare for our next son, Thomas Athanasius, to arrive in November. Uh, and Yep, Thomas Athanasius, really great name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we're, we're moving things around and, and moving furniture and my office that I've had for two years I now have sadly lost. Everybody weep with me uh, <laughs> as James gets his new room and Thomas will inherit James's old room. And so my, my dad came over and he's helping me move furniture around, move the desk into the bedroom and bookshelf and all that, rearrange things. And uh, on Friday, I was, I was rearranging cables in the bedroom and getting things all set up. And there was a, there was a cable that runs... There's a plug right in the middle of our bed. It's supposed to run on the other side, and I had inadvertently put it the other way. And I couldn't quite reach it on the other side, so I could move things again, but I was tired of moving things. So I called over James, and I said, James, hop on under the bed. Now, James loves crawling under the bed because his dog will run away from him under the bed, and that's a game now, right? Oh, let's all crawl under the bed, and do, right? So he's excited, jumps on down there, and I say, okay, see that cable over there? And he starts doing his little army crawl across there. I say, okay, grab that cable, and grabs it, and crawls on it. I say, okay, bring it to dad. And he brings it on over, and okay, now I can plug that in. James, James loves doing these kinds of things, and I love doing them with him. If I grab the broom, he's got the dustpan. He's following right behind. He loves doing stuff with me, for now. Uh, you know, eventually I'll have to tell him, hey, you've got to sweep and you've got to do this stuff. Uh, but, but for now, he likes it. And you see, our, our passages this morning show us that God our Father desires to have that kind of relationship with us. He wants to invite us into the work that he's doing. See, in Genesis 18, we meet Abraham immediately after the text that we had last week, where the Lord shows up with two angels, and Abraham prepares this feast, right? Demonstrates his hospitality, his generosity. And just before our lectionary reading, we have this little, there's this little sliver of text where, where the Lord wonders aloud to himself, and he says, should I tell Abraham about what I'm about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah? For he will, through him, all nations will be blessed, and he will be required to pass on the ways of the Lord to his children and to his household. And so then out loud, he says to, to Abraham, he says, he says listen, I'm, I'm sending these angels. They're on their way over to Sodom to go investigate. I've heard this outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, so we're going to go investigate and see if the outcry is true. Now, remember, when we see these passages, these are not passages that are showing us how, how God's figuring things out. No, this is God condescending to where Abraham's at to let him in on these things, right? And so God's inviting Abraham in. He's giving him this opportunity to intercede. So Abraham stands there, and he sees the, the, the men going off, the two angels heading off towards Sodom. And he knows his nephew Lot has been near Sodom for some time. And he knows the reputation of Sodom. We're told in Genesis 16 that the reputation was known for being incredibly wicked, we know from the prophet Ezekiel, the main reason why God destroyed that city was because they were horribly inhospitable. There are stories that go, go around, such as, such as the, the idea of a, of a girl who would sit on the, on the streets of Sodom begging for food, and rather than give her food, they would put a beehive on her head. This was a city that was the antithesis of the kind of hospitality that Abraham shows that God expects his people to show. And so Abraham sees the situation, and he goes, well, well, you're the judge of all the earth. Surely if there's 50 righteous people, you won't wipe out the entire city, right? And thus begins Abraham's slow bargaining with God. Well, for 50, no, I wouldn't destroy it for 50. Well, well what about 45? No. 
40? Not for 40. Okay, call me crazy. 30? No, I won't destroy it for 30. Don't be mad. 20? 20? No. 10? For the sake of 10, Abraham, no, I won't destroy the city. And the Lord goes his way, and Abraham goes his way. Now, if you've read Genesis 19, you know that God does not find even 10 righteous. And depending on how you read it, he maybe finds one at best. And yet we're told that Lot and his family are rescued, at least some of them, because of Abraham's intercessions. See, God is inviting Abraham to do the things that he is doing. Just as Jesus says in the Gospels that he says what he hears the Father saying, that he's doing what he sees the Father doing. In the same way, God is inviting Abraham to join in this work, to intercede, to say, hey, when you see injustices, when you see things that don't seem to be right, yes, act, of course, but seek me. Seek my will. Intercede. There was one time when, when uh, we were still meeting in the high school, and uh, we, were, we were on our way home, and uh, I was going to go pick up some In-N-Out uh, for lunch. And uh, I saw somebody on the side of the road who had one of those signs and was you know, asking for donations. And so I said, OK, I'm going to pray about this. So I prayed, and I said, God, I'm about to go get some In-N-Out. Do you want me to get this in some In-N-Out for this person? And God said, no. And that was really weird. But I said, well, I think I heard God speak, and I think he said no, and I don't get it, but fine. So I go and I get my food, and as I'm making my way out of that horribly designed intersection, uh, I see somebody crossing the intersection with food bringing to that person. See, God had already set aside someone for that task. Someone else had already prayed, interceded, and stepped up. See, but th this is what God's inviting us to do. He's inviting us to be these kinds of people that intercede, that pray in this way, that look for how, how is God looking for me to act? How is God looking for me to join him in this work? David prays just as outrageously in our psalm, in Psalm 138. He starts off by saying that even, even in the midst of these other gods, I will praise you. Now David's not saying, hey, God, I'm going to praise these other gods, and I'm also going to praise you. He's saying, no, even, even in the face of these other gods, these idols, what Paul will call demons, these, these false gods that make false promises, that, that make people, for example, Molech, uh, the people would, would sacrifice their children to Molech so they can have crops. Horrible promises, right? These gods that are deceptive. He says, even in the face of these distractions, these things that make false promises, I will praise your name. He says, for you, you, you've exalted your name and your word above all things. And David has done the same thing. He's exalted God in his life and his word above all things. See, we don't face the distractions of, of idols explicitly, but we face all kinds of distractions, right? All kinds of false promises, all kinds of whispers. Hey, it's okay if you have a bowl of cereal at 12.30 at night, right? You're still hungry, kind of, right? A little bit, maybe. Hey, you can look at that website, that's okay. That won't be bad. Yeah, you can, you can gossip about that person, that'll make you feel good. All kinds of voices vying for our attention, vying for us to turn aside from the ways of the Lord, vying for us to not exalt God's name, to not exalt his word above all things. David says, no, even in the midst of those distractions, in the midst of those false promises, I will praise you. He says, I cried out to you, and you heard me, and you gave me strength. See, see David's understanding of God and the way that he praises him and the way that he prays is built on the idea that God's been faithful before. David knows that God is going to keep his promises. And so he prays in these bold, outlandish ways. At the, at the end of the psalm, 
David goes so far as to say, though I walk in the midst of trouble, yet you shall refresh me. You shall stretch forth your hand upon the furiousness of my enemies. Your right hand shall save me. The Lord shall make good his loving kindness toward me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever and ever. Despise not the work of your own hands. Can you imagine being in a, in a, in a maybe it's after your small group and you're having a little bit of a prayer time. Somebody says, well, Lord, if it's your will, do this, and, and we'd like to see you do this. God, you are going to defeat my enemies. You are going to stand up in the face of my enemies. You are going to save me. See, David acts in boldness because he knows that God keeps his promises. He knows that God is faithful. He knows that God loves him. And so he acts within that. He doesn't, he doesn't hope that that's true. He doesn't pray in doubt. He prays in complete faith, knowing that his God shows up, that his God keeps his promises. In the same way, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in the exact same way this bold, faithful way. Jesus has finished praying, and his disciples come to him, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray just like John taught his disciples how to pray. And so Jesus says, well, pray, pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. What an odd way to start a prayer. But you see, at this point in time, the Jews had stopped using God's name. You remember that God had revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 6. He says that he revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, as God Almighty. But now he's revealed himself as Yahweh, as the one who exists, the eternal one. And yet over time, because the Jews are cautious, because they have that commandment, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, they stop using his name. If you read the, the, in the Apocrypha, that intertestamental period after the end of the Old Testament, before the New Testament. And you look at the book of Maccabees, which tells the story of Hanukkah. There's a point where the Maccabeans are leaving a battle, and they say, thanks be to heaven, his mercy endures forever. Now, they're not thanking heaven. They don't think that the skies are what saved them, right? But they're so afraid of using God's name, and they're so afraid of even saying God, that they say heaven. Well, that's where God is, and so we're going we're to keep our reverence. We're going to keep our distance. You actually see this in the Gospels as well. So when Matthew has Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, because Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. If you go read the parallel texts in Mark and Luke, they say kingdom of God, because Gentiles don't have any problem with this, right? But Matthew's being sensitive to his Jewish audience, kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is, is playing on this, and he's saying, listen, when, when you pray, yes, acknowledge, God's name is holy, yes, absolutely. But don't distance yourself so far. Call him Father. And see, when Jesus is doing this, he's not denigrating who God is. He's exalting who we are. He's saying, you are children of your Father in heaven. Call him Father. Your kingdom come. We want your rule. We want your reign. We want your authority. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us. We have needs, and we need you to provide. Forgive us on the basis of the fact that we have forgiven others. We know that you won't forgive us if we don't forgive others. You're calling us to the exact same life and standard that you live. And deliver us from temptation. Keep us away from the time of tempting, that we might not sin. And then he shifts and he goes, imagine you have a friend that comes over and, and, and you have nothing to set before him. So you go to another friend and you say, hey, I, I need something to set before my friend, but it's already, it's already late at night. So the friend replies, look, we're already in bed. Kids and I are already in bed. Remember, homes back then were single room homes. So everybody sleeps in the same bed. He says, look, the kids and I are already in bed. I'm not going to give you food. 
Jesus says he'll give him what he needs, not because he's his friend, but because of his impudence, because of his rudeness, because he keeps persisting. Ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Bold prayers, bold faith. What father among you, if his son asks for a, for a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? My son can now, has now started to finally say, he'll say more to everything. Fine, okay, you want more. More what? A few weeks ago, he woke up after, after about an hour after he was supposed to be asleep, and I go in there, go in his room, and he's standing there. More. Okay, more what? More water? More food? What do you want? More nana. That was the first time he said, I want... Banana. First time he said, oh, right away. Okay, you actually said what you wanted. That's great, we're communicating. Let me go get you a banana. Feed him a banana in bed. He's very excited. As soon as he finishes, he lays flat down, falls asleep. We love giving our kids good things. Right? Jesus says, you who are evil know how to give your children good gifts. How much more your heavenly Father will he give you the Holy Spirit? Wait a minute, Jesus. You, you, started, you started by saying, I should, I should pray in a way where I, where I keep going. Be, be consistent. Keep, keep praying. That, that unlike a friend who, who will finally listen to me because I'm being rude, that, okay, God, God loves me like a son, like a daughter. Okay. And, and then you say, I should ask and seek and find. I should pray in faith. Okay, I'm with you. And, and what father doesn't want to give their kids good gifts? I'm with you. Holy Spirit? How, why is this the end point? Why are we, why are we landing here? Now, now, we're post-Pentecost people, right? Both in our church calendar and 2,000 years ago, right? So we might be able to Pentecost it out. We might be able to Holy Spirit it out. So stick with me. Remember, in Jesus' time, the Holy Spirit has not been poured out upon all flesh. The Holy Spirit would, would come into people, into individuals, for a time. He would enter into priests, enter into prophets, enter into judges and kings. If you've been reading through the, the daily office, uh, we just read through Judges not that long ago. Every time Samson uses his strength, what happens? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he's able to do these great things. Just on Saturday, we read about Saul and the Holy Spirit leaving Saul because he continued to be disobedient and the Holy Spirit filling David, the new king. If you read the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 51, where, where David prays, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. It's not a permanent indwelling. There's this fear, right? And the Spirit's only for special people. It's only for certain people, only for a time. But Jesus says something audacious. If you ask, your Father will give you the Holy Spirit. Again, this is not a denigration. This is a, of, the, of the Father. This is an elevation of who you are. God wants to call you his sons and daughters. See, the whole point of Jesus' ministry, everything that Jesus is after, is that he became like us so that we could become like him. The only begotten, the unique Son of God, took on our nature so that we could become partakers of his nature, so that we could become children of God. This is how John opens his gospel, right? That he's the unique Son. He's the one who reveals the Father to us, and he came that we might become children of God. Not born of flesh, nor of blood, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Born of the will of God. In John 3, Jesus meets with Nicodemus, and they have this conversation. Jesus says, well, you must be born again, or born of above, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus very wisely says, well, does that mean I need to walk back into my mother's womb after I'm an old man? Jesus chastises him, right? You're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. You must be born of water and the spirit to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He's looking ahead to this gift of baptism. 
See, in our Colossians passage, Paul talks about, he says, stay firm in the faith that was handed down to you. Don't walk away from it. In, in 2 Corinthians, he, he, he warns his readers, he says, there's another Jesus, there's another spirit, there's another gospel. He's very clear about this. There are other competing versions of Jesus. Right? We live in a day and age where you've got all kinds of different versions of Jesus. Right? You've got the Jesus of the Muslims. He's just a prophet. You've got, you've got the, the Jesus of the Mormons. Right? He was created and he became a human being and then became a god later and you can become a god too. This weird Jesus. You've got the Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses. He's the first and greatest creation. Just a creature. All kinds of different versions of Jesus. Paul and the other apostles dealt with the very same thing. Somebody came back from the dead, and there's all kinds of different interpretations about who this guy is. Some said he was a hundred-foot angel. Some said that he just appeared to be a human being and didn't leave any footsteps. He was really a spirit. He didn't really die on the cross. All kinds of different theories, right? Paul says, hey, stick to the faith that was handed down to you. Don't be distracted by these things. He says, don't listen to philosophies and empty deceits that are based on human tradition, that are based on the elemental spirits of the world, and not on Christ. He's not saying have nothing to do with any philosophy. Right? Philosophy just means love of wisdom, and as Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, Jesus is the wisdom and the power of God. He's saying, don't follow after these ideas, after these wisdom, after this logic. That's, that's according to just simple human tradition. That's according to the elemental spirits. That's according to these false gods, these demons. He says, follow Christ. Don't follow these empty deceits. Follow him who has the fullness of the deity dwelling in him bodily. In him you have been filled. Don't go for the empty thing. Go for the fullness. He says, in him you were circumcised with the circumcision that was made without hands. The circumcision that was made without why, why, why is Paul talking about circumcision all of a sudden? Remember, circumcision is the means by which you became a Jew. It was the sign of the covenant given to Abraham. This is how you enter into the family of God. And so Paul is telling, telling his, his listeners, the Colossians, he's saying, hey, listen, the new circumcision is baptism. At your baptism, you were buried with Christ. At your baptism, you were raised up to life with him. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. I don't know about you, but I was baptized sometime after Jesus died and came back to life. Right. <laughs> yeah. But he says, listen, when God raised Jesus up from the dead, he raised you with him. Yes. See, the beauty and the mystery of the sacraments is that the power, presence, and person of Jesus are made present there. That's right. That we meet Jesus in these sacraments. Right. That we are united with him. That the work on his cross, that his resurrection are applied directly to us. So that we can say that we are one with him. And it's at our baptism that we receive the Spirit of God. Paul tells, tells the Galatians in, in Galatians 4 and the Romans in Romans 8, two passages that are incredibly similar. He says, listen, don't follow after the flesh. Don't follow after your sinful desires. He says, you were not given a spirit of slavery. In our dualism, we start anticipating, right, I was given a spirit of freedom. No. You were given the spirit of adoption. This is why the Spirit cries out in your hearts, Abba, Father, declaring that you are children of God. At our baptism, we are united with the Son of God that we too might become children of God. This is the hope. This is the good news. Again, I've, I've said this many times before. I'll say it over and over again because it's so deceptive. The good news is not that God's not mad anymore. That's not great news. I'm still not happy with myself sometimes. 
the good news is that you have been united with God's son. You share in his nature and you no longer need to continue in your sin. Right. You can be free. That God's spirit dwells in you. God has poured out his spirit upon all flesh that all might have access to that same spirit, that all might walk with God, that we might say that we have God dwelling in us. See, God longs and desires for us to recognize that he's our father. He loves us deeply and tenderly. I can't even begin to tell you how much I love my son. Again, one of those things where where parents before will tell you, oh, you'll you'll never imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really, it's once you have a kid. My goodness. (laughs) I love that kid. He makes me mad sometimes, fine, but it only lasts for a moment, right? And then, oh, he's so cute, and he does things that I do, and oh. God knows everything about you. David says in Psalm 139, before a word comes, comes, is on my tongue, you already know it fully. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee? A psalm that I quote to my son often as he runs away from me. Where are you going to go? God loves us intimately and fully, and he wants us to recognize that we're his children. St. Benedict had a rule, a ladder of humility. And the first step in his ladder of humility was to was to recognize that you need to have a fear of God and that you need to be aware of him. God wants us to know him and to love him and to be aware of him. And we, and we might struggle with this. If you're, if you're like me, my big struggle for sure, I can read all kinds of commentaries, church fathers, listen to sermons. I have, I have old tapes of Walter Martin. I've got all kinds of things that I love to listen to. That's not necessarily spending time with God though, is it? Just like I can go and look up a bunch of genealogical data about my family, it doesn't mean I know my great-great-great-grandfather. Right? There's a difference. That could help me, but there's a difference. God wants us to spend time with him, to be with him. I went, I went to a retreat maybe about a year ago at Branches of the Cross, which I highly recommend, a healing prayer retreat uh, down in the San Diego area. And at the, at the end of this retreat, that was absolutely insane, and I have crazy stories about I was meeting with my, with my intercessory prayer uh, partners, and, and uh, they said to me, listen, at the end of this, remember, you just need to spend time with God. Stop worrying about filling your head with knowledge. Stop worrying about all the, all the other things. Just spend time with him. Think about him like he's right there. Just talk to him. So that, that afternoon, I went, and I, and I sat down on a bench, Listen to the birds. Look at the trees. Look at the sky. Remember that Paul tells us that God's glory and his character actually made manifest in his creation. God's here already. Where can I go from your presence? He's already here. And he just wants us to recognize that, to be with him, to do life with him. He wants you to be the kid that's climbing under the bed to grab the table. Grab the cable. Go grab, go grab the dust, dustpan. We're going to go do some sweeping. He wants you to join with him in life. You're his child. Seek after your father. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you have made us your children. That through baptism we have been united with your son. That you have poured out your spirit upon us. That your spirit cries out that in us that we are your children.
that we have been united with you, that we are members of your family. Help us to be aware of you. Help us to seek your face. Help us to love and adore you with all that we are in thankfulness for all that you've done for us. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.